That's bait. Stay in the rig. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where we lament the loss of sunblock in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 78, which begins with Toast pointing out to a tower in the distance, and it ends with Furiosa calling out to the woman sitting on that tower. Rounding out the week with us are Gary Roby and Victoria Cope from the Harry Potter Minute podcast. Hello, hello. Hello again. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us for all three episodes this week. Yeah, we're happy to spend the week with you guys. Yeah. So we get to start off today by finding out what the heck Toast was talking about in the last second of Wednesday's Minute. And she doesn't offer her own assessment. She just says, what's that? Mm. Furiosa spins around and takes a closer look through her binocular things, which I still don't know quite what to call those. Me neither. They're so bizarre. Two eyes, and then they go into one or something like that. I don't know. It's weird. It's very weird. I don't understand. We cut to a perspective behind Furiosa's shoulder, and we can see that out in the distance, there is indeed a tower, and there are little things hanging off of that tower, glinting sunlight towards mm. the war rig. Yeah, that's, it's an interesting thing. Like, it's, you know, clearly a deliberate... This is going to draw attention out in the desert, like the sun beating off of them, causing those like glints as it moves. And it's an odd thing to see, because when you think of the wasteland and what kind of people travel in the wasteland, you would think that drawing as little attention to yourself as possible would be the aim of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And to have something set up like this to deliberately draw attention seems immediately very suspect. I don't know if, if it's... I don't want to, like, spoil the end of the minute or what's going to happen next <laughs> week, but why do you think they built a structure like that? Like, I mean, we hear what Max has to say about it later, but what benefit does this provide to the builders? I don't know what to call them. I look at this tower, and oh. I'm reminded of the gyro captain back in Road Warrior, who had his little gyrocopter sitting out in the middle of a clearing with a snake sitting on it, and the gyro captain was buried in a little shallow hole nearby waiting to oh, ambush yeah. someone. So True. I see this tower as the same exact thing. Pick off whoever whoever dares to approach it, scavenge their supplies and things of that nature. Exactly. This isn't Waterworld where there is an established etiquette between the people in the wasteland where every time two wanderers meet, something needs to be traded and then they go on their way. Mm. This is a live and let die situation. Yeah. And so Furiosa lowers those things that <laughs> okay. she's using. They're just binoculars. They're just called binoculars? Yeah, it's just a different style of binocular. Okay. I, yep. All that right. bothers me for some reason. <laughs> I feel like they should have a fancy name. Trinoculars. It's two down to one. I don't know. It's weird. They're weird. <laughs> <laughs> They're highway merge glasses. <laughs> two lanes down to one just big hassle but as she lowers those things those binoculars she says out loud to herself i remember something like that 
And the first thing I have to say is I don't want to talk about timeline stuff. Rick, don't talk to yourself about timeline stuff. You'll give yourself <laughs> another headache. But I also think that Furiosa is familiar with using hanging mirrors as a trap device because it doesn't seem like it would be something that only one group of people would use. No, the Citadel uses mirrors yeah. to communicate. Yeah. So you think she's talking specifically about the mirrors that she, like, remembers. Okay. I assumed that she was talking about the tower. Well, I think it's a combination of the two. Well, no. No, no, no. She doesn't remember this tower because as we learned by the end of the movie, this is beyond where she grew up. They didn't have a tower like this. Now, okay, so this is like a telephone wire tower. Mm -hmm. So they're all over the place. So I'll give you that it could have been a different one that she remembers. But no, she doesn't remember this tower. I think that the people who have hung the mirrors from the tower, this is not the first tall thing that they've hung mirrors from. And I could see them doing this initially as a decoration, but as the world falls apart, they use it as a way to bait people in. Mm. And I think when you're a young child and you see something like mirrors hanging from a tall object, it can make an impression. I absolutely agree with that. I like the idea she says that she remembers something like this. It, it doesn't have to necessarily be like this specific one, but the method is familiar. The purpose is familiar in a way. I appreciate your points of view on this because I read it completely as just the tower, that she remembers the tower, and that really sat wrong with me because she doesn't remember this tower. Yeah. So I read this moment completely differently now having talked to you guys. Mm. <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> and so Furiosa decides that they need to go towards this thing and the war rig goes. As we're driving away, we get to see that Furiosa has switched over into the passenger seat. Max is now in the driver's seat because, you know, they're a good co-driving team. They switch off when it's wise to do so. And they start making their way off into the distance. And that shot lasts for about 10 seconds. And then we mm -hmm. fade over around the 27 second mark to see that not only is there a tower with mirrors hanging off of it, but there is also a woman sitting at the top of that tower. And she is in a rather precarious situation because she's not wearing any clothes and she is out in the midday sun and i mean it's a post-apocalypse you're yeah. gonna get cancer somehow <laughs> but this lady is just asking for melanoma how long do you think she's been up there like were they expecting someone to come by or did they have like a scout who saw the rig in the distance and was like hey hey go climb the go climb the tower get your clothes off i think it's b yeah. I think they have scouts who knew that the rig was in the neighborhood and that she hasn't been up there for too, too long. Put them off their guard. These people will come up. They'll see that she's in distress. And then while, uh, while they're trying to help her, they'll take them unawares. Which means that there's probably already people coming up behind them. Yeah. If there were scouts out there to see them coming, then there are people who are already behind them. Being followed. And I think they're probably pretty foolish, the rig, the group in the rig, I mean, yeah. for not having somebody out on their own lookout post looking behind them. We know they're being chased by people, so why, why not have a lookout behind them? Going off that latest question, I think they're in a relaxed mood because they know that as soon as they get out of the bog, that their tracks are not going to be as easy to follow anymore. 
Going across those dunes with shifting sands, they see it as less likely for their track to be picked up. So I think that's why everybody is hanging out in the rig, taking naps and things like that. They feel safer. Yeah, they can get some distance between them and the the war party and maybe lose them in the sand. Because there were some big vehicles in the war party that would have a lot of trouble getting through that muddy, sinking ground. Yeah. So I think they feel comfortable enough being able to let their guard down a little bit. But it also begs the question, why isn't someone out there just as a matter of protection? Because this is a wasteland. You don't know if there are other tribes hanging around. There might be a tribe of motorcycle people yeah. that are the kind of folks who would snipe someone just as soon as talk to them, which yeah. is the exact sort of tribe that this woman belongs to. <laughs> yeah. Just in the short time that they've been out in the world, how many tribes have they come across? Seven. Aside from their own, they've come across the buzzards and the rock riders and I guess whoever the uh, the Stiltwalkers were in the bog, they count as a tribe. So mm-hmm. I like just in 24 hours, they've come across three tribes. So why stop there? Why not more? Yep. We're about to make it four. Yep. This woman is sitting up on the tower and she is shouting, help me, help me, help me, please. Hurry, please. They'll be back soon. You know, all this stuff that a normal Wastelander would see and think, Oh, gosh, that's a lady. I got to help her because she's <laughs> trapped up on that tower and the bad people are going to come back. And those type of gullible people are going to get their brains shot out and their stuff taken. Mm-hmm. Well, Max knows better. Exactly. The war rig comes to a stop and I love Max in here. He's like, oh, no. And then he says, that's bait. And he points <laughs> upward. And this shot specifically has been memed to death, and I love it because it's the perfect thing to drop into a comment thread when you know that someone is trolling for a response. Yeah. <laughs> I see this one all the time. It's so good. <laughs> so do you want to know who this lady on the tower is? Yes, please. So this character is known as the Valkyrie. We learn that through the end credits of the movie, and she is played by Megan Gale. Megan Gale is best known, according to IMDb, for her role in this movie. She was also in 2005's Stealth, where she played Dr. Orbit's secretary. It was a cameo. She was also in 2014's The Water Diviner, which is Russell Crowe's, I think, directorial debut? I'm not quite sure. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's what it is. Hmm. She played a character named Fatma. And then she was also in 2010's I Love You Too, where she played, I think, an Italian model named Francesca Moretti. As for the actress herself, Megan Gale was born on August 7th, 1975 in Perth, Australia, to an English father and a half-Maori mother. She began modeling at 18 and hit the big time in 1999 when she appeared in several advertisements for an Italian telecommunication company called Omnitel, though now it's called Vodafone Italy. All right. She appeared in that company's advertising for about seven years and was actually retained by the Australian Tourist Commission in 2003 as the face of Australia in Italy. Wow. For phone commercials. Okay. Yeah. Megan Gale has appeared in several Italian movies, such as Vacanze di Natale, the movie Bodyguards, or Guardi del Corpo, as herself in both of those. She was also in Sergata dalla Luna as Viviana, and she also had a cameo part in Stealth that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, interesting. 
So those two Italian movies that you mentioned that she played herself in both movies. Mm -hmm. So in the movie, she is the Australian representative for Italy. Yeah, she's such a recognizable face as the token Australian supermodel woman that they just threw her into those movies as that person, as herself. All right. Good for her. Following 2005... And this actually calls back to something that Julia mentioned back on Monday. In 2008, it was announced that Megan Gale had been offered the part of Wonder Woman in the upcoming George Miller movie version of the Justice League of America. Wow. Okay. So we could have had a George Miller Justice League. Yes. Well, that I would have watched. That was put on hold and eventually canceled. But we were very close instead of having Gal Gadot... As our Wonder Woman, we could have had Megan Gale. Instead of that bearing fruit, Megan Gale went on to appear in her first Australian feature film, which was the romantic comedy I Love You Too, where she played Italian supermodel Francesca Moretti. But she eventually went on to play this role, the Valkyrie, in George Miller's Fury Road. So she actually did eventually get to work with him on that. I did a little bit of poking around and found that these days she's focusing on raising a family and doing a lot of philanthropic work. Mm, gotcha. Doing appearances and things like that. When you look at her IMDb page, she's listed as an actress in only six productions, which I've mentioned before. She was a producer on R- Project Runway Australia. Yeah. And she has appeared as herself in 20 different projects. A lot of television. But as we get back into the movie, Max, who has pointed out that, you know, this is a bait situation. If we go out there, we will most likely get attacked. And Furiosa leans over and she says, stay in the rig because Furiosa is going to handle this situation. This definitely feels reminiscent of the Rock Riders in the canyon Mm -hmm. where Furiosa went out to converse with the party expected to attack them. And even her gestures feel similar. She goes out there and she holds her hands out where they can be seen. Yeah. It's a very different attitude, though. She's walking into this situation claiming a place in the community. Yeah. As opposed to the Rock Riders, where it was more defensive negotiating tactics. Mm-hmm. Here, she has a lot more confidence about the whole thing because she belongs here. And it also struck me, we watch her from behind for a little while. We get to see her full body as she's walking. And I, I don't know if this is the first time we've seen her like this, full body from behind. But it is striking how much longer her mechanical arm is than her own arm. And I'm wondering if that throws her off at all. Mm. because. Your relationship to your body, you're very, like, self-aware. You know where your body parts are at all times, sort of thing. And that's what gives us a sense of space and it helps with balance and how we function in the world. So if you were to all of a sudden add, what, four or five inches to one of your arms, that would throw you off. Mm -hmm. Do we know how long she's had the prosthetic for? We don't. We really have no idea how she got it, when. We know nothing. It's yeah. a bit of a tightly held secret. They were always coy about it in the press junkets because they didn't want to uh, burn through any potential material that could be used in another project. Sure. 
Yeah, I imagine that something probably would have been really difficult to get used to, like, at first. But I, I think at this point, Furiosa definitely seems to carry herself with uh, with confidence, with... Um, uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but just um, that this is a part of her just like anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I like this shot of her walking out in front of the war rig with her arms extended, though. She has such great presence on mm-hmm. the screen. And as she's walking out in front of the rig, she calls out that she is one of the Vuvalini of the many mothers. Mm. She is claiming a position of belonging. So that way, whoever is sitting and watching this situation does not immediately shoot at them. And something that I didn't realize when we were talking about the introduction of the Valkyrie is that the reason that she's called the Valkyrie is because the word is Old Norse for chooser of the slain. The Valkyries are the one that go around and they select among those who die in battle. Half go to Valhalla, half go to Freya's afterlife field of Folkvanger. So the Valkyrie sitting up on the tower like this, she is the one that chooses who dies. Interesting. So by positioning herself as bait, calling out, help me please, they'll be back. Has she decided that this party is to die? I think her calling out like this is still the bait process. Okay. Yeah. She has not yet decided. She's siren calling them in, and once they get close enough for her to make a judgment call, then she'll decide whether or not they live or die. Okay. She has a very interesting position in this mm-hmm. uh, in this grouping, I think. The Vulvalini. So this is the first time that we hear the word Vuvalini uttered. And I know we talked about them a little bit back when we were talking about the stilt walkers and the bog situation there, but the Vuvalini were originally known by another name. According to story co-creator Brendan McCarthy, the Vuvalini were originally envisioned as Roto Raiders, a flying tribe with helicopter and gyrocopter contraptions. Wow. Yeah, they would live in a sort of, I guess, deep canyon filled with clouds and it would be very vertically based. And so they would have these crazy backpacks that have helicopter rotors and they were i think called gynotopian warriors wow (laughs) yeah it was one of those early concepts that for some reason just didn't make it into the final film gosh (laughs) i can't imagine why they wouldn't have not jetpack warriors but gyro pack yeah gyro pack warriors just can't imagine why they wouldn't do that it seems perfectly reasonable and not at all difficult to realize in reality. <laughs> oh, I'm sad we didn't get to see this, though. <laughs> the Vuvalini originally would have these helicopter jetpacks. They would also have hovercrafts, and they would lure people in their hovercrafts to quicksand. And so once the people that are chasing the hovercrafts get caught in the quicksand, they would close in, finish them off, and then take their stuff. That's brutal. Yeah. That feels very reminiscent of Thunderdome. Like, the crack in the earth. The waiting ones didn't live vertically like they envisioned for the original Vuvalini, but they could have. And we know that there was quicksand out there. Mm -hmm. But as far as what stayed in the movie, we are going to learn more about the Vuvalini on Monday. We don't get a ton of information here in this first call out. No. We have to wait for her to uh, expound on that. 
before they actually show themselves. You know, Gary and Victoria, back when you first watched this movie, what did you think of this element, this discovery of Furiosa's chosen people? Hmm. I remember being really intrigued by this, actually. Like, I... This was the first Mad Max movie I saw, I think. We were going to see something else, and the theater that I was supposed to be going to, like, their showing had an interruption or something, so me and my sister went and saw this one. And usually in stories... I mean, I guess we'll get further into this next week, but usually in stories like this where you have a character who's like seeking out the promised land, more often than not, you don't get there. You don't find the place that that is promised or whatever. And like the green place isn't what she remembers it to be, but like her people are still here. And that's it was a little it's kind of a a relief moment in what has otherwise been like kind of a scramble up to this point. There's been a lot going on and they've barely been able to stay ahead of the party that's pursuing them. I like this beat. Well, I actually had seen, you know, the other Mad Max movies. Maybe not all of them. I I know for sure I had seen like Thunderdome and maybe one one of the others. So I was familiar with the um like the story process of how like a Mad Max movie is supposed to go or how sure. it had been going. Uh, in prior movies and the the time gap between Thunderdome coming out and when Fury Road was eventually released is uh, it's quite large. So I actually absolutely love uh, Furiosa's character and the introduction of like this very strong female character that has a lot going for her and, you know, has this role that she takes on. Uh, I, I, I found it very, uh, very welcoming. I, I, I liked I liked her collect her uh, character. Uh, very much so. And I think, um, who is this? Matt Hardy. I think he did a great job in uh, in doing the Max role after being used to Mel Gibson for so long. But uh, there's there's definitely many reasons why we cannot have Mel, <laughs> Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> so this introduction of like what's going on even now is just, I know it's, it's very interesting. It's just so different than the prior... Uh, Mad Max movies. I welcomed it. And I don't know if they're making more, but I hope they do. I do too. Yeah, we certainly hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, it's already been a few years, so it's like, uh, getting nervous. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'd prefer to not have to wait another 30 years before the next <laughs> right, one. Right, exactly. Yeah. We can hope. But as for us, that brings us to the end of today's minute. And Gary and Victoria, I just want to thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure having you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us back again. One last time, could you let all of our listeners know where they can find more of your stuff? Absolutely. Uh, best place to find Victoria and I is on DuelingGenre.com, where we have uh, Ferris Bueller's Minute Off, as well as uh, two completed seasons of our run on Harry Potter Minute. And if they want uh, more access to Victoria and I, we are over on Facebook at Harry Potter Minute and the Listener's Army. That is our little closed group discussion for uh, everyone who wants to talk anything Harry Potter with the two of us. Yep. And as for us, we will be coming back on Monday. We'll see Furiosa identify herself. The woman on the tower will signal the other Vuvulini, and we will get to meet Furiosa's family. 
The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 78 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.